church in Holland, Michigan. And I had come, and um, it was a little bit larger of a church than SCC is. They had a couple who was serving as the youth ministers. And uh, that, the couple, they, were, they became friends of mine, and they're still friends of mine. But even from day one, even when I was interviewing for that position uh, 15 years ago or so, um, they had expressed that they really struggled with the leadership of the church, in particular, the lead pastor and how he led. That was part of my interviewing process. In fact, I talked to them. They were that, that blatant about that. I did, end, as I went there and served there uh, a number of years, and after a couple of years, they ended up um, getting a new call at a different church. They, they went on to the church uh, in Texas, and we were in Michigan. Now, they... Um, decided that before they left, they would write a letter detailing the reasons why they were leaving, uh, the issues that they had with the lead pastor. He got, it was a several pages, he got a full page, just committed to himself, um, and, uh, and the consistory and uh, some of the leadership, and they sent that to about 30 leaders within the church. Super difficult. Uh, again, they were friends of mine. They still are friends of mine. But I really disagreed with what they did. Um, I thought uh, it was perceived, I, I believe it was, a, a backstabbing, a, a betrayal. It was an unfair representation. It was not building up our lead pastor, really tearing him down. For our community of faith, the, the effects it had on the community of faith, it was not building up the community of faith, but was really tearing it down. And uh, we, we had to... Uh, really seek and say, Lord, what, how do you want us to handle this situation? Now, uh, we will call them, what is the names? Daniel and Colleen, that's the names I gave them. Um, and uh, we had to wrestle through. Just a side note, I've, I've shared this story uh, before because it taught me an incredible principle that I'm gonna give to you Real briefly, it's not really part of the message, but it's, uh, so it's free of charge. No additional cost for this kingdom insight. But I went into the senior pastor, his name was Jim, and I said, Jim, are you okay? It was, uh, it was tough. And he said, Eric, I, I've learned to hold all things in this life loosely, but to hold on to Jesus with everything I've got. That principle has served me through many difficulties and strain. Everything in this world I seek to hold on loosely before the Lord, but cling with everything I've got to Jesus. All right, that's a free principle, no extra charge, not necessarily what we're talking about, but many things were there. What I really wanna get at is how do we handle those situations of conflict 
and strain. A number of weeks ago in our Sacred Friends series, we talked about conflict and we looked at Paul and Barnabas. And there wasn't really a betrayal there. There was a disagreement. They disagreed about John Mark. And we looked at that disagreement and we talked about some, what I would call healthy biblical principles of handling times of disagreement. Uh, We talked about not uh, fleeing or fighting, as we generally can do, but healthy biblical engagement that we don't just cut ties and say, I'm out when there's a disagreement or difficulty among leaders, among sacred friends, that we say, how can we engage this in the spirit of God? How can we uh, use our words, our attitudes, our comments that are godly, that that are seeking resolution, A second uh, principle we talked about is speak truth in love, that we, we don't avoid saying even the difficult things, but with honesty, with integrity, biblical principle, We speak it out in a loving way. Can't have one with the other. We don't get to say, hey, I'm just speaking truth, right? We were called to have both speak truth and love. The third principle we talked about in Paul and Barnabas was also this shared goal. The kingdom of God has an overarching goal. It is the restoration of all things. It's the reconciliation of all things, people to God and also people to one another. How can we have the shared goal of resolving disagreements like that? So all of that is good. This is kind of part two that I've been promising that some of you have been waiting for for a while. Those principles are healthy and good and we can apply it. But I want to talk about it in a slightly different way, this conflict. Not one that there is a disagreement, but when there is sin that's perpetrated from one person to another. It's a slightly different context, isn't it? So, so when we have not a disagreement and we're trying to wrestle through, but when, whether among sacred friends, um, whether a married couple, whether in, in a work, when one person has betrayed, has gossiped, has devalued, has abused, wounded, or hurt, the other person. How do we respond in moments like that? That's what I want us to think about for a moment. And I want us to think about with two questions, start with two questions. The first question is this. When you personally are hurt by another, when, when, you're, when you're wounded by someone else, that they, um, they, they do uh, something that hurts, gr- grand or small, generally what is your first reaction? How would you like to respond when you are sinned against? Just think about that. It's a rhetorical question. We're not, I'm not asking for confession here, but... <laughs> What's that initial response that you usually have when you've been wounded? Say you've been betrayed, if you've ever been betrayed. What's your initial response? (laughs) Boy, that would be great if love was the true 
Actually, what I, anger is there, yes. What else, all right? I would say that for many of us, the idea of payback or justice or getting back at that person that's hurt us, would you agree? Or am I the only sinner in the room, right? We get wounded and it hurts. And, there's, and it's, if it's unjustified, we have that sense of anger and we get mad. And we're like, hey, that's not right. That's, I didn't deserve that. They, they didn't, do, no way, I can't believe. Let, let's put on some like vengeance movies, right? Like Equalizer and Denzel and watch that and get right. Let's, let's get back. We, we have phrases that reflect this initial reaction. Like I am gonna give him a taste of his own medicine, Right? Or we see that something happens and we go, oh, that is poetic justice, yes. And then we say, oh, payback is a walk on the beach. Well, that's, <laughs> maybe that third phrase is not as common as the, right. But we, there is that sense. And, and I want to suggest that's not all wrong. Because I think at the heart of that, is this idea of justice, yes? God is a God of justice, so we have in our DNA, when we are treated unjustly, when we see our kids or someone we love treated unjustly, there is that sense that we want justice. And sometimes that bubbles over to vengeance. But scripture is really clear. God says, vengeance is mine. Right? He says, that, that, that's not the posture I'm inviting you to. Right? I, I'll, in fact, he says, you're not the judge, by the way. Who's the judge? So here's the second question I wanted to ask you. That was, how do you initially respond and feel? Second question, within the kingdom of God, as a follower of Christ, how should we respond when we're gossiped against, unfairly criticized, betrayed, devalued, hurt? It's not vengeance. It's not in judgment. And what's exciting is that we have a poignant picture, you could say relationship, in the New Testament where Jesus has, he's got the apostles, but he's got the inner three, right? Uh, Peter, James, and John. And you could say, our Lord and Savior has his best friend. Betray him. And wound him. And as our most in need of his sacred friends to stand shoulder to shoulder with him. They betray him. And we get to see how he responds. And I think that is a profound lesson for us. 
We're going to look at, real briefly, this relationship between Jesus and Peter, and we're going to see elements of betrayal and mercy. So just to set up the story, I'm going to read from Mark 14 in just a moment, the end of Mark 14. But Jesus, in preparation, many of you know the story. He, he tells them in this, this moment of intimacy with the apostles, he said, you will all fall away. Jesus prophetically says this. And, and guess who says, not me. Peter, he says, Jesus, you know, hey, I'm with you. They might, but I am with you. Jesus says, Peter, you will deny me not once, but three times. I'm paraphrasing here. Three times. And then the rooster will crow. And scripture actually says, emphatically, Peter says, no way, Jesus. Even if it comes to death, I am there. Well, then Jesus is arrested and uh, he is brought, he's going through the process when he's arrested. All the apostles, they flee just as Jesus said. Peter goes to the courts of the high priest where they're doing the jury. And, and then we see this story in Mark 14, verse 66. It says, while Peter was below in the courtyard one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl, boy, sometimes those servant girls can be persistent, can't they? They just... <laughs> He tries to walk away, get a little bit of space. She sees him over there. She follows. She said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, Peter denies it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean. Tell probably by his accent. He, became, he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. He had betrayed. He had vowed not to. Emphatically said, Jesus, I, if all, everyone else falls away, I will hang in there. Just an interesting note in the Gospel of John, or uh, Mark, in, in chapter 16, it's thought that Mark uh, transcribed Peter's telling of the Gospel. And when Peter tells the story of the resurrection and he tells the women to go. Verse 7, it says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. And some think Peter wasn't, he was separating himself because he didn't see himself worthy to be considered a disciple after his betrayal. Now, 
if you were in Jesus' shoes and the next time you saw Peter, your sacred friend, how would you respond? Would your first instinct be vengeance? Would you be like, hey, Peter, you're out. You had a shot. I warned you. I told you. You emphatically swore. You're out. Would it be like, okay, Peter, I'll still let you into the kingdom. But boy, I had this role for you. You're going to be a leader. I've been, boy, I've been sharing my life with you. And now this, you can be in the kingdom, but not an apostle, just a disciple. Many of you know Jesus doesn't respond like that, but we see the first interaction between Jesus' resurrected, resurrection, re- resurrected Jesus and interaction with Peter. Turn with me, if you have the Bibles, to John chapter 21, verse 15. Now, the apostles went back to fishing and, um, and they see this man, uh, he's got a fire on the shore and he interacts with them. And, hey, how's the fishing going? I'm paraphrasing again. And, uh, and as, as soon as Peter recognizes that it's Jesus resurrected, in fact, I think John says, it, it's the Lord. Peter pulls a Forrest Gump. He grabs the cloak and he just walks off the boat into the water just to be with Jesus. Finally, they, they do a haul and, and then it's just between Jesus and Peter after the betrayal, after the resurrection. Verse 15 says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Remember, he said, even though everybody else will fall away. Yes, Lord, he said, you you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Very clear what Jesus is doing here, isn't he? He's bringing up the betrayal, the three times do you love me he said Lord you know all things you know that I love you Jesus said feed my sheep it's a beautiful moment it's a hard moment right confession honest conversation bringing about reality of sin and woundedness and hurt But it's not a picture of vengeance, is it? It's not a picture of justice, even. What is it a picture of? 
It's a picture of mercy, of grace, and forgiveness. And here's what I would like to suggest to you this morning. That that reinstatement, that forgiveness and reinstatement of Peter is not just a picture of mercy, but it's a call to be a people of mercy to you and to me. Yes? That, that it's a, it, it is, a, yes, this awesome picture of Jesus living the mercy of the kingdom of God to a sacred friend, but also, I believe, that was recorded in the, the pages of scripture, not just to tell us about Peter's journey, not for us just to see it, but for us to be invited in to a gospel of grace and mercy throughout through Christ Jesus in particular we see a sacred call that we would transform our posture when it comes to being sinned against when it comes to mercy and grace when it comes to justice all of those things that Jesus from the beginning of his ministry to the end invites us to transform our thinking our behaviors our relationships and our lives another way to say it is to live those relationships out in the shadow of the cross. One of the interesting things to do with this, you take the betrayal story of Peter that we read and you put it in a little bit of context and there was an interesting conversation that Peter initiated with Jesus before the betrayal happened. In fact, the conversation happens in Matthew 18. I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. If you'd like, you can. But Matthew 18, 21, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister? Now, we're getting there. Just hold on a second, all right? All right. Isn't that interesting, though? Peter is the one, Right? He initiates this conversation with Jesus. This was a very rabbinical question. The teachers of Jesus' day, the rabbis, they would, they would wrestle with questions like this of forgiveness. In terms of, of the God who forgives, how many times should we be or should we forgive sisters or brothers that sin against us? And in fact, Peter gives a suggestion of an answer. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, I, as I've shared in the past, I think Peter said this with a smile because in the context of the rabbinic discussion, to forgive someone three times was awfully generous. It was very, very gracious, right? Peter, I'm assuming, has heard Jesus talk about things like mercy, 
talk about how valuable forgiveness is. So he thinks, you know what? I'm going to take that rabbinic answer, that generous answer of three. I'm going to double it and add one and make it the perfect number of forgiveness. Jesus, how many times should we forgive a brother? Up to seven times. Me, I'm paying attention, Jesus. I, <laughs> you can just call me your star pupil right now. It doesn't go that way, does it, for Peter? Now, what does Jesus respond? He says, read it to you, he says, I tell you not seven times, but depending on how you translate, I like the translation best, 70 times seven. Now, I don't think, I love this interaction but I don't think Jesus' point is that we would calculate. Correct? All right? All right? Some of you are bad at math. That's okay. You can still get the lesson even if you're bad at math. I don't think Jesus is meaning for Peter and the apostles and you are not. 490 times. That is a lot. He's speaking. He's using hyperbole, right? And so what is the intent of Jesus saying something like seven times 70, you should forgive your brother and sister? That you and I are to be a people of forgiveness. That that should flow from us, especially in light of the cross. At the center of the gospel is the story of our forgiveness. Correct? Yes, that's what the cross in part means, that that we get to receive the forgiveness of God. And what Jesus unpacks later, not as much now, but, but he says that this is meant to be central to you as a people in your relationships with your enemies or with your sacred friends. It does not matter. Forgiveness, mercy, grace should flow. Now, forgiveness can be one of the most difficult things in life, especially when we have had friends or loved ones that have perpetrated deep and difficult pain against us. And it's almost as if Jesus knew how difficult it would be for us. And so he tells a parable, and I'm gonna just give a a short summation of this parable. The parable is about a a servant who has a king, and this servant owes the king tons of money. In fact, it's the equivalent of 10,000 bags of gold. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this? It would fill, obviously, this whole sanctuary. I don't know how many feet, but 10,000 bags of gold 
right? That, that's a lot. This servant owes the king. And when he has to give, when he has to pay off and, and the king brings him before and says, hey, you owe me all this. What was customary of that day is you would throw the, the man and his whole family into jail, especially with that amount. So the king says, throw him in jail. Well, the, the servant gets on his knees and he pleads for mercy from the king. And, it, and it's a shock to everyone. The king says, okay, you can go. Forget about the 10,000 bags of gold. Now, elated, that servant goes out. And then he happens to see another servant, another guy. And this guy owes him about 100 wages, silver pieces, it's, a, it's an amount, a lot less than 10,000 bags of gold. And the servant sees him and he goes, hey, you owe me. Pay me back right now. And the other guy, the other servant, he gets on his knees and he says, please have mercy on me. You know what the servant does? He says, throw him in jail. There was these other servants that saw this whole thing play out. And they are furious. This servant that was forgiven 10,000 bags of gold, all of this money, he fails to let that translate to the other fellow servant that owed him in silver. They tell the king, and guess what the king does? He brings that servant back and he says, you wicked servant. And I love this parable because the justice part of it in us goes, yeah, he doesn't get away with it. I like this parable. It called what goes around comes around. And he ends up throwing that servant in jail after all. And just when we're enjoying the justice of it all, Jesus tells the moral of the story, the applicable place. And that's where it goes south for me. He says, oh, I didn't turn to it. I'd like to read it very specifically to you. Read it in Jesus' words. He says, the king says, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't have you had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus says, verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. Unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. And we realize this parable is not about justice. This parable is about mercy. 
And if we are children of light, if we are people of the kingdom, then to truly understand the gospel and live the gospel is to receive the forgiveness of our 10,000 bags of gold. All the sin that we have committed against God and let him wipe it out, praise Jesus, and then turn to our fellow debtors, those who have sinned against us. And if we say, I will never forgive you, then we become the hypocritical servant. Jesus follows this up by saying, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will do the same. He'll forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I've wrestled with how profound that is. And the only way I can make sense of this is that forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. And we need to live the heart of the gospel. Now, preach on forgiveness on a regular basis because I think it's so central and so crucial. Real quickly, I want to give you three kingdom perspectives that I think I hope are helpful to us that kind of shape this call of forgiveness. And here, they're in your bulletin if you want to look at those, just three. I want you to take these and ponder them and wrestle with them. And I, I hope they help us be people of mercy and forgiveness. The first is this. Forgiveness doesn't mean that your, the sin that was perpetrated against you is insignificant and doesn't matter. Just because you forgive doesn't make sin perpetrated against you or others insignificant or it doesn't matter. Sometimes I feel like when we're trying to forgive and we hear the sacred call to forgive, we feel like God the Father is saying, just get over it. I don't believe that that's what the Father is saying. He's not saying just get over it. He's not devaluing our sin. The, the reason I know this is because Jesus takes sin more seriously than anyone else I know. <laughs> he says, a different time, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, praise God he was using hyperbole there, Right? <laughs> Right, But he's saying sin is so powerful. It is a poison in the soul. It is a poison in your relationships. You need to address that sin because sin will mess up your entire life. That, that's how, how devastating it is. But I want to make another suggestion that unforgiveness is a form of sin. And that will become a poison in your soul. 
And Jesus is saying, deal with that. Cut that out of your soul or it will mess you up. You have to get, you have to get this. I was reading a, a story, there's a book, Why Forgive by uh, Stephen McDonald. He tells his personal story. He was a young police officer in 1986 when he was shot by a teenager in New York Central Park, an incident that left him paralyzed. It changed his life. While the young man was serving in prison, McDonald eventually began to correspond with him, hoping that there would be a day of demonstrated forgiveness and of nonviolence. When asked why he was initiating with this young man who paralyzed him and, and changed his life, he said, I forgave the shooter because I believe the only thing worse than receiving a bullet in my spine would have been to nurture revenge in my heart. He got it. He understood the, the, the danger of sin in our soul. Second perspective is this. Forgiveness does not mean free of consequence. It does not mean that the perpetrator gets to go scot-free. Now, this is a little bit mystery, mysterious here, and I want to share this for a moment. Yes, in God's economy, we are forgiven in Christ Jesus when we come to the cross, and yet what we do still matters in eternity. Yet often God uses and allows consequence of sin, even though we can be forgiven in Christ. He allows consequence in this world and in eternity. Jesus said you will be held account to every careless word. In some way, it's a mystery there, we will give an account of all of our lives. And perhaps the blessings and the favor that we were to receive are removed because of our sin. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians of leaping through the fires that all of our life will be tested. We may be saved, but there's still in some mysterious way the economy of God. And this is how I live this out this way. Listen to this, it's really important is I don't believe that prayers of forgiveness are contrary to prayers for justice. And oftentimes I pray prayers of forgiveness alongside prayers for justice. He said, you have to forgive your brother in your heart. Jesus is saying forgiveness is a heart issue. You also get to cry out, as the psalmists do, help, help. Part of the reason I, I told the story of Daniel and Colleen is because my uh, 
the, the lead pastor of the time, um, the story that we started with, Daniel and Colleen went to the other church and they weren't there but a couple of weeks and the church had this incredible split and it was a really unhealthy context. And they, were, they felt lied to about in the interview process and all those kind of things. And they realized that this was a terrible place. The grass was not greener on the other side. And they asked Jim if he would consider bringing them back as youth pastors. To Jim's credit, he, uh, he brought me in his office again and he said, Eric, what do you think about bringing them back? And it would be a great story of forgiveness and grace and mercy. And I said, Jim, I love your heart, but no way in a manger. Now, listen, I, I, I'm just giving you a portion of the story, so there's other things, but there, his leadership style was not, they just did not jive with his leadership style. Those things were still in place. The other thing I said is also that, um, you know, that they, they would have to make it right, not just with Jim, but the whole leadership of the church, those kind of things. So, so I, I'm just giving you a portion of the story, but I, I want us to be... So I loved that Jim had forgiven them in their heart. But that didn't mean that there weren't still some consequences lived out in that day. And here's the final perspective, is that forgiveness doesn't mean you have to be vulnerable and entrust your heart and soul to that person that's wounded you again. I think that's where Jesus' words, be innocent as dove, but shrewd as a serpent, is he wants you to get that poison out here. But be wise. If that person is not repentant, if that person is not in a good place, don't forgiveness does not mean that you put yourself in a vulnerable place to be wounded again. Trust is very different than forgiveness. Yes? Okay. The elders come forward to communion. And as they come forward, I'd like you to ask this question. Is there someone that you need to forgive this morning in this moment. Maybe this has been a barrier in your faith. And you've not been able to let go. Friends, that's what the Spirit of God wants to do. Where you can't in your own strength forgive... He wants to give his strength so you can forgive. Friends, is there someone that you have forgiven in the past, but you know you've pulled unforgiveness, unforgiveness back in your own heart and soul? And you need to forgive again this morning.
This communion table is a place of healing and restoration, not just physically, but spiritually. That we get to let the the poison of sin, the poison of judgment, of unforgiveness, of blame, be removed from our souls. Let me just give you a moment between you and the Lord. Holy Spirit, would you highlight anyone that we need to place before you in this moment? Father, forgive us when there's been moments in our lives that we've been the hypocritical servants. We've not lived the gospel of forgiveness. We've not extended the grace that you have given us to those around us. As we forgive others, would you forgive us? Lord, for those who have perpetrated sin that we struggle to forgive, we place before you now. Holy Spirit, we ask for your presence and power to help us to forgive. Lord, would we feel the newness of life as we take the elements, as we receive you. We're gonna do a communion just by stations at each section at the appropriate time if you would leave to your right. We're gonna do a communion by intinction it's where you can dip the cracker in, you take the element, and that's between you and the Lord, important times, and then return to your seat to your left. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed, that after he had given thanks, he blessed the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after dinner, he took the cup and he said, this is a new covenant, a new way to live, both in relationship with God, he meant, and in relationship with one another that our friendships would flow from the dynamics of our friendship with God. Do this, take, drink in remembrance of me.
He said, when we do this, we proclaim forgiveness. Forgiveness. In the name of Jesus Christ, until he returns again. Friends, all is ready as you feel led. Would you come? Jesus Christ.